ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. The number of illegal fishing boats coming into Australian waters appears to be on the rise again, and it's got Australia's livestock industry concerned about the biosecurity risks. We all know that, that foot and mouth disease is up there. Lumpy skin's another one in the background. Uh, one would have to hope that these boats aren't coming ashore, but even finding refuse on the beach indicates they're way, way too close to our coast. Also today, a trip too far north Queensland where towns and farms are underwater. The unfortunate thing is where I did have some mangoes, um, there's a big percentage of them will be underwater. And where is ex-tropical cyclone Jasper right now? We'll be putting this question and plenty more to the Weather Bureau when we speak to them at five past one. As always, if you have a question that you want to put to the Bureau, send it through on that text line, the number 0487 99 That number again, 0487 Now, if you missed the Country Hour on Friday because of the cricket, then you missed our coverage of the Northern Territory's first cotton gin being officially opened near Catherine. Yeah, there was about 150 people there for that event. This gin, it cost around $70 million to build, and it means Territory cotton growers will no longer have to transport their crop thousands of kilometres to Queensland for processing. Now, how much cotton will be planted in the Territory this season, and how is some of the early planting coming along? We'll be talking about that in a moment. But first, let's learn more about this cotton gin and some of the people behind the project. Now, this gin, it's been operated by the local company Want Cotton in partnership with global cotton giant Louis Dreyfus. Louis Dreyfus's Australian Managing Director of Cotton, Tim Geitz, he spoke to the crowd on Friday. Here's just a bit of his speech. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, on behalf of LEC, it gives me great pleasure to be standing before you today in the shade of the first cotton gin in Northern Australia. That sentence in itself rolled off the tongue fairly easily, but it's in no way testament to the planning effort, vision and commitment to get this project where it is today. I would also like to pay special tribute to Alan Myers and the uh, shareholders of the Tipperary Group of Stations who had the vision and fortitude to help cement the cotton industry in Northern Australia. This pioneering spirit has been the foundation of our industry since its establishment in the 1960s. And it's fantastic to see that, that spirit so strong here today. On a final note, uh, Alan Myers, it's been a great uh, pleasure to meet and uh, gain some insight into one of the best legal and business minds that Australia has ever produced. I thank you and I look forward to us continuing to work together. Also, I'd like to thank Want Cotton for trusting LEC with the project build and for the continuing operations of the gin when completed. It's out, without doubt one of the most exciting projects I've been associated with my career today. Thanks very much. 
So that is Tim Geitz from Louis Dreyfus Company. Now, you mentioned Alan Myers in that speech. Mr Myers is a barrister. He's the chair of the Tipperary Group of Stations, and he's an investor with a diverse range of projects right across Australia. He's also now a director of Want Cotton. I caught up with him at the official opening of that cotton gin. I'm Alan Myers. I'm a barrister, but an investor in uh, rural enterprises in Australia. Uh, My family, sometimes with some others, have had the Tipperary group of properties for more than 20 years now. And we've been keen to develop agricultural enterprises in the Northern Territory. Why do we do so? Because we think it's a good thing for the country and for the Northern Territory and it's uh, a worthwhile thing for us to achieve. Why do you think the cotton industry is a good thing for Northern Australia? Because uh, cotton can be grown sustainably, mostly in Northern Australia. It'll be grown as it is in most other parts of the world, rain-fed and not through irrigation. There will be irrigated cotton. You get better yields if it's irrigated. Uh, We use uh, modern farming techniques and uh, modified uh, cotton seed so that insecticides are scarcely used at all and the product is a natural product which is in increasing demand throughout the world for use in clothing and for other purposes. It seems to tick all the boxes to me. And how does it make you feel standing here today? under this ginormous shed. I wonder how, an, how it's been achieved. But then when I think about that, I know that it's the result of a lot of other people sharing our aspirations to achieve something that's worthwhile in the Northern Territory and for Australia. Because this gin will enable the cotton industry to develop in the northern part of Australia for the benefit of the country, for the Northern Territory and for the people who are involved in it. And for you, what's the key to making this industry viable from here on? That landholders in this region are keen to and not prevented from growing cotton in a sustainable way. I'm optimistic that that will happen and I'm optimistic because it's rational that it should happen and it will be good for the Northern Territory and for the people involved in it. What do you love about the North? Well, it's a great part of Australia. Uh, My family have been here now a bit over 200 years, that's to say in Australia. They started as convicts in Van Diemen's Land and then went to Western Victoria, and since then we've been involved, not in any high-profile way, but involved in agriculture all over the country. And more than ag, I mean, the work that you do in the North Kimberley, I always got told, that, I always got told you own those properties because you were so interested in the, in the art up there. Well, the properties in the North Kimberley are a conservation uh, enterprise to conserve the natural environment, uh, which I think we're doing successfully, um, in cooperation with the local people, for the most part, and also to uh, conserve and to make known the marvellous heritage of the rock art in Northern Australia. 
Uh, we still don't know exactly by whom it was created and when, but it was a very long time ago, and it's probably the... For our, for our audience, you're referring to the Bradshaw artwork. Well, Bradshaw and, uh, and the pre- and post-Bradshaw uh, artwork, um, and I, I think it's probably the, the greatest um, gathering of rock art in the world. I shouldn't say probably, it almost certainly is, and something that should be conserved and Australians should be proud of, all Australians. Thanks for your time. Great pleasure. That is Alan Myers KC, investing in conservation, investing in protecting Indigenous rock art and investing in northern agriculture. He's now also a director of Want Cotton. So this cotton gin... Right next to the Stewart Highway to the north of Catherine, it has now been built. And according to Simon Cameron from Cotton Australia, with wet season storms starting to deliver plenty of rain to the top end, growers have already started planting what is set to be a record cotton crop for the Northern Territory. Yeah, right now we've been uh, waiting patiently for the wet season rains to arrive, which obviously uh, a few weeks ago wasn't looking too promising. But uh, now we're, we're full steam ahead. Um, we've got many of our growers in the region will be out in the paddocks today on their tractors with the machines going bip, 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 bip as they plant that wonderful little cotton seed into the ground and uh, bless it with the beautiful rains that we're hopefully going to be receiving in the coming days from uh, ex-cyclone Jasper. Yeah, is there such thing as too much rain from a tropical low? There can be. There can certainly be. Um, but we're very lucky up here because our soils have that a beautiful ability of draining very freely. So we are blessed in that regard. So we can receive a lot of rain and a couple of days later you go, oh, where's it gone? And the cotton can handle it. And the cotton can handle it indeed. And the cotton loves it because we've got that three elements, you know, the sun, the soil and the water. We're here at the official opening of the Want Cotton Gin. Now that it's here, are we going to see more cotton planted? Yeah, it's really exciting and, and it's such a, an amazing historical day for us here in the Northern Territory. And yes, so this season we're looking at around fourteen to 15,000 hectares of cotton going in the ground and that's all the way from you know the northern areas of Douglas Daly right down into the Sturt Plateau so, um, and over to the west, over to, to WA. Um, we also have plants or cotton going in the ground in WA and, and across over into far north Queensland so that all areas across northern Australia um, is it's it's happening. So up to 15,000 hectares in the northern territory I mean that would be the biggest cotton plant in this jurisdiction's ever seen. Absolutely it is and, and it's very exciting and I think in coming seasons you know once we we fire up the cotton gin we're going to see a lot more interest um, and a lot more plants going in the ground um, in the coming years uh, so to help our livestock industry obviously to both bolster that uh, protein drought which cottonseed provides for our livestock industry. It would have been very hard to make money I assume growing cotton and then trucking at 3,000 kilometres to be ginger. Absolutely and and you know when you do your numbers on a page or your gross margins a lot of our guys you know had to had to truck their cotton again that three and a half thousand kilometres to Dolby some even went as far as Hilston that's like at another thousand or twelve hundred kilometres from Dolby to Hilston so southern New South Wales so yeah it's it's very very exciting so for some of us we're you know like not far away well I, I have a property not far away and it's you know maybe 20 kilometres by road but for some it'll still be you know a good five six hundred kilometres particularly those guys down in the southern parts of, of the Northern Territory down in the Sturt Plateau and Barclay regions that will grow the cotton, uh, but it's nowhere near it's the... Still, it's no. still closer. Correct, yeah. correct. 
If all goes to plan on about 15,000 hectares, what could that look like for this gin? Well, on average, we're seeing um, over the last five years, um, typically across the regions where the cotton has been grown, around that four bales per hectare. So if we're, you know, we're looking probably at around that 70,000, you know, bales potentially coming through this wonderful gin processing facility here in the north of Catherine um, later this year or later next year sorry you know in that August window we'll start to see that those that that season coming through. And how long does it take to gin maybe 70,000 bales? Well uh, I understand that it's around 60 bales an hour can be processed and uh, it's going to take probably the better part of you know four months to get that happening so um, yeah it'll be all systems go ahead you know very very soon for our wonderful facility here which is so exciting to have it in the region. Um, I've seen some concerns raised by people who feel like cotton's going to take over hundreds of thousands of hectares is that true? I think cotton will grow in the Northern Territory in its own organic way. Um, We do have, you know, when we projected uh, agriculture in general, agricultural projection growth in Australia is around that 10.6% per annum. Uh, So if we added, say, we made it 11, we're looking at a very long time before we would see, you know, 100,000 hectares, say, which is what a lot of them are out there saying. Um, You know, we're looking at 2045 before we'd even start to see that and that's just cotton so we're talking you know 11 percent for agricultural growth in general and and which cotton is part of that uh, are you confident it can be a viable crop for northern growers absolutely confident and very very um you know excited and honored to be a part of that growth industry here in the northern territory and across northern australia essentially that is Simone cameron who is a senior policy manager in northern australia for cotton australia Right across the Territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. Now, the vast majority of this season's cotton crop in the Northern Territory is dry land cotton. So that means it requires zero irrigation. Whatever falls out of the sky, that's what the crop gets. However, there are some groups who believe this cotton industry will soon look to take water for irrigation and are also worried about the industry's intentions to clear land to grow more crops. Here is Kirsty Howie from the Environment Centre. We have a lot of concerns about this cotton gin opening because what it will make way for is the clearing of potentially tens of thousands of hectares of beautiful savannah woodland for cotton and, of course, the opening up of new forms of water extraction, including the construction of dams on our free-flowing rivers. And that could spell disaster for our beautiful rivers, our intact savannah ecosystems and what people love so much about the Northern Territory here and globally. The surface water harvesting policy, the government is saying that uh, actually it might uh, better regulate the take of um, overland water, you know, in the wet season, that they're saying, you know, before you could just take whatever you wanted, but now the overland uh, flow take is reduced to 5%. What's your view of that? Look, the simple uh, thing is uh, that 
what this policy will do is open up huge amounts of additional water extraction. There's no two ways about it. This is water that is not currently taken and it's a signal to the industry that the water will now be available. And we've got in the Northern Territory some of the worst water laws and water regulation in the country. We're not compliant in any way, shape or form with national water policy. And uh, any new extraction for an industry, a thirsty industry of this kind, uh, needs to be well regulated and we have no confidence that that will happen. Groups like the Farmers Association would argue, well, you know, we want to have a bigger agriculture industry. What is the difference between having mangoes or melons or having cotton? You know, it's basically water to grow crops for the territory. Look, I think there really is a difference between those kinds of crops that have been successfully grown here in the Territory and cotton. And that's just, you know, pure numbers about the scale in spatial terms, in terms of hectares of what is proposed for the cotton industry, up to 200,000 hectares in some of the documentation that's been released compared to the very small areas of land and comparably uh, poor smaller amounts of water for industries like mangoes, uh, you know, melons, those kinds of things. So they may be thirsty crops, but we're just not seeing the scale of development proposed for those. That is Kirsty Howie from the Environment Centre speaking there to Jane Barden. And if you missed our coverage on Friday because of the cricket then you can download Friday's podcast and that includes a conversation with David Connolly from Want Cotton and also Adam Kay from Cotton Australia. Just a few text messages that have come through during that period on 0487991057. One message here says, Cotton is one of the most oversupplied products in the world. Land clearing, pesticides, water mining, spread of weeds can't hide the cotton growing up and down the highway. Our NT natural assets and resilience wrecked for what? The short-term profit of a few pastoral corporates and another pair of jeans, says someone here on 0487991057. Someone else says, is this why the Georgina Wiso water allocation plan has such an enormous groundwater allocation with no rules or limits to the size of water licences? Is it to enable big cotton? And Sam in Catherine says, for Country Hour on the Cotton Gin, this is a sad day. I worked from Gunnedah to the Queensland border in the 90s as cotton was expanding rapidly. Dry land is a myth, says Sam. This is the beginning of the end of our precious free-flowing rivers. Massive private dams, unholy water allocation plans and fish kills. Too sad, says Sam in Catherine. On the Country Hour tomorrow, I hope you can tune in. Our special guest will be the new chair of the NT's Pastoral Land Board, Paul Burke. That's on tomorrow's Country Hour. G'day, my name is Floyd. I work in the Spanish mackerel fishery and in the Gulf of Carpentaria. I love what I do and love my job. And You're listening to the Country Hour. Sprinkles says, Matt, when I drive the Stuart Highway, instead of toilet paper, I'll see cotton. Cover your loads proper job, boys and girls. It's taken half a lifetime to get used to it, says Sprinkles. Someone here says, it seems that the Environment Centre doesn't want anything to happen ever. Our text 0487991057. We're off to far north Queensland next. Towns, farms, so much underwater. You'll get the latest straight after some Fleetwood Mac. (laughs) 
Right across the territory on the ABC, this is the Country Hour. Let's head now to far north Queensland. Some of the vision emerging from that region, just incredible, of the Barron Falls, of the Cairns Airport. The place is underwater. Rivers have broken their banks, roads are cut, farms are absolutely soaked. Lucy Cooper has the latest. The rain has been relentless, and whilst it's called the wet tropics, this event has been unprecedented. Professor Jonathan Knott said it's been record-breaking. The gauged record uh, started in 1915 on the Barron River. Uh, the main gauge is at Myola, which is near Karanda. And this flood uh, is the largest recorded flood that we've ever had in Cairns. And it's larger by a substantial amount. Um, so it's it's a very, very serious flood. The rainfall totals have been phenomenal. 21 gauges already that have received over a metre of rain within the last seven days. And over the last 24 hours, the totals are Cairns, 307 millimetres. And north of Cairns, Black Mountain, 640. Yandel, 701. Beds, 870. Dewan, 829. Daintree, 637, Mossman, 621, Port Douglas, 389, and Beesbike, 656 millimetres in the past 24 hours. When Tropical Cyclone Jasper passed through far north Queensland last week, the Category 2 system brought down trees and damaged properties, but left far less of a mark on farms compared to Yazi in 2011 and Larry in 2006. But the subsequent flooding has been devastating. In the Atherton Tablelands, a region west of Cairns known for its incredible produce, from coffee to mangoes, bananas, sugar and avocados, many farmers have sought higher ground. Well, I'm looking at a lake. There's lots of lakes around our place and I'm at my neighbour, the, the Golden Drop Winery. And um, they're higher ground and um, it's a bit of a family tradition. Every 20, 20 or so years or 25 years we end up here when this sort of event occurs so um, just big lakes it's just a massive amount of water slowly surrounding us. Joe Morrow is a mango farmer and chair of Far North Queensland Growers Association based at Baibura just outside of Mariba. A warmer than average winter resulted in fewer mangoes this year and now barely any will be making it to supermarket shelves. The unfortunate thing is where I did have some mangoes um, there's a big percentage of them will be underwater. Uh, and if it breaks bank, probably uh, what KPs I had are probably going to go um, and um, and probably some impact on some of on my um, palmers and labourers. So I probably end up losing, um, I, at, at the end I probably would have had a reasonable crop of the late varieties, but I reckon I'll lose at least 70%. And that's just a wild guess at this point in time, but it won't be less than that. Further south of Joe, Nick Tromp, a stud beef cattle farmer, has properties around Tinneroo Dam, which spilled late yesterday afternoon. It's extraordinary. At 7 o'clock last Thursday, Tinneroo Dam was sitting at 71% full, about 330,000 megalitres, and not rising because the rivers were fairly benign. Today, it's at 107% or 449,000 megalitres, so we've seen a 50% increase in four days, which is unprecedented. Mr Tromph has had almost a metre of rain. The rainfall has not just cut off roads, it's destroyed them. I think one of the major things for the region, for agriculture and the region more broadly, 
is the damage to road infrastructure will be unprecedented. The only B-double road access from the coast to the Atherton Tablelands, the Palmerston Highway, looks like it's been hit by an earthquake. It has had a landslip and been split down the middle and dropped about a metre. So I would imagine that's going to take weeks, if not months, to repair and get it safe. And as we speak, the only road uh, I believe that you can access the Tablelands is uh, from the west, um, I think that's still open, but all the roads to the coast are closed um, and Cairns itself is isolated and many other communities are isolated. So, um, yeah, the road damage, talking to some of the local mayors yesterday, uh, the water's just coming up through the road surfaces and and uh, it, it's going to be so extensive and the federal and state governments have already indicated they're going to have to cough up a lot of money to um, undertake repairs that could take many months, particularly if the wet season continues and we can't get on those roads to repair them. Residents have had to evacuate their homes as rivers broke their banks. In the Aboriginal Shire of Woodjil in the Cape York region, the entire community is set to be evacuated. Resident Matt Nichols said it's a dire situation for residents, with many trapped on roofs. It's a disaster at the moment, to be honest. We've got um, the Bloomfield River. So if people don't know where Woodjil is, it's north of the Daintree, um, south of Cooktown. Um, and it's a small Aboriginal community, about 400 people. So um, they were well prepared for the cyclone. Um, and obviously the eye of Cyclone Jasper crossed Woodjil um, on Wednesday night. Um, it didn't actually do much damage, but the rainfall has been devastating. And, and last night, the, the Bloomfield River burst its banks and um, a number of houses are underwater. And we've got a lot of residents on roofs right now and um, desperately waiting to be evacuated. In his first four days as the new Premier of Queensland, Stephen Miles has had his new role dominated by this devastating situation. Well, we see a lot of natural disasters. This is just about the worst I can I can remember. I've been talking to Cairns locals on the ground uh, through yesterday and through the night, and they say they've never seen anything like it. And for that, for someone from far north Queensland to say that, that's that's really saying something. There is good news though. Falls are expected to ease by this afternoon. But then farmers must turn to the mammoth job of cleaning up. For Gina Galati, who has a citrus orchard on the edge of the Barren River in the far north, she's only just beginning to assess damage. Look, ever since this event started, we've received over a thousand mil of rain. From just a shed perspective, um, you know, we've got three pallet stackers, all the motors were underground, so they're pretty much all gone. We've got, you know, 450 bin gas room, that compressor is gone for that. Um, yeah, so once, once, once we can get a better assessment, we'll be able to, to fully comprehend what we've lost. A mammoth 12 to 18 months lie ahead for farmers in the far north. But we've lost our livelihood too for, you know, maybe 6 to 12 months. We don't know what, what um, full effect or what, what damage this has done to the trees um, until everything starts calming down a bit. But this is our livelihood. You know, if you've got a job, well, you go... If you can, you'll go back to work if that shop's open on Monday. But you can't do that here. That is Gina Gladi, who is a citrus farmer in far north Queensland, speaking to Lucy Cooper. It just keeps on raining around Cairns. Stay up to date via the ABC Rural website. Got a text here from Brian in the do. says, Matt, why can't they give the cricket a dedicated radio station? It's not to everyone's liking. Give me the country hour any day, says Brian. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> when the cricket is on your analogue radio, you can find the Country Hour via the stream or the ABC Listen app. Now, I know that doesn't 
work for a lot of people out bush. I don't think some managers higher up the chain understand that, but you can find us on other means when cricket is on. Good luck with that. <laughs> we're there. We're there and we're working hard. Uh, it's news time. See you back here in five minutes. My name's Jason Clark from Humpty Doo Barramundi. I'm the fish production manager, Eddie, and you're listening to the country here. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. The number of illegal fishing boats coming into Australian waters appears to be on the rise again, and it's got Australia's livestock industry concerned about the biosecurity risks. We all know that, that foot and mouth disease is up there. Lumpy skin's another one in the background. Uh, one would have to hope that these boats aren't coming ashore, but even finding refuse on the beach indicates they're way, way too close to our coast. You'll hear about those concerns in a moment. You'll also hear from a fella who's in the sea cucumber game and some of the stuff he's been witnessing along that Kimberley coast in particular. Uh, Quite amazing, quite alarming. This will be on the Country Hour very soon. Ooh, and Santos has just had a little win. Santos has just had a little win. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But first, let's go to the Weather Bureau. Billy Lynch is there this afternoon. Billy, ex-tropical cyclone Jasper. Where is it? Yeah, g'day, Matt. It's uh, still over far north Queensland. It's been slow-moving all week, which is why all that rainfall in Cairns and north Queensland's just been so extreme. It's uh, just been stuck, hasn't it? Yeah, it's just been stuck in that same weather pattern for a few days. So, yeah, look, it's still sort of edging towards the, the eastern side of the Gulf, but um, definitely over land at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's been, I guess, not what we were expecting l- last week, late last week. We were expecting it to be tracking across the Gulf of Carpentaria. Um Probably the, the, the most important news in terms of the Northern Territory is um, it's now rated a very low risk of developing into a tropical cyclone for the next seven days. Right. Um, and it's also less likely to be moving towards the Northern Territory. So we're, we're not actually expecting any impacts at all from, from that weather system. Um, it may well and truly move over to the, the Gulf of Carpentaria um, during the next few days, but um, if it does, it's it's probably going to stay on the the Queensland side of the Gulf and, and not really cause too many concerns for the Northern Territory. Right. So so due to get into the Gulf of Carpentaria potentially later this evening, but then sort of, what, fizzle out? Yeah, I mean, it, you wouldn't say it's a strong low-pressure system at the moment, um, even though it's creating a lot of rainfall. So... Um, yeah, getting out over the Gulf, you know, possibly tonight or the next couple of days, um, you know, drifting in a general northwards direction. Um, and I should point out, if anyone's curious and listening, you can jump onto our website. We've got a new graphical seven-day tropical cyclone forecast, which shows where it's most likely to move. Um, and it's only, you know, there's an outside risk of it sort of drifting towards Groot Island and, and the northeast Arnhem District um, sort of during the next couple of days. But even if it does, it's going to be weak and just gotcha. going to help with the normal wet season. It just spent too much time on the Cape and lost its steam. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's, it's unravelling and it's going to take a long time to, to spin up again if it, if it were to try. So I was on a property near Catherine last week and they were going flat out uh, planting fodder crops at night and 
the feeling on the ground was everyone sort of rubbing their hands going, you beauty will get this crop in the ground and then ex Jasper can come and dump plenty of good rain onto it. What's the rainfall outlook for the Northern Territory now over the next seven days or so? Well, I guess, I mean, nothing widespread or extreme. It's really just going to be those wet season storms. So it's going to be patchy. Mm. Um, yeah, it's going to be hit and miss. So I guess for today, we're sort of looking at storms north of Elliot, um, as well as uh, near a trough moving across the, the southwest of the Territory as well. Tomorrow, that moisture will spread southwards, um, so storms north of about Alice Springs, and then a, a ridge of high pressure building in, so that will then gradually push the storms northwards throughout the week, and by about Friday, it will be north of the Barclay. Okay, just looking at uh, top-end radars this afternoon, it's a little bit quiet, isn't it? It is quiet. For the 18th of December? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it is going to be a quiet couple of days um no doubt i think as we move into the later part of the afternoon that the radars will get a little busier fire up but, a bit uh, more yeah yeah but not expecting too much today or tomorrow and uh, you've got the rainfall figures for the weekend gone the 72 hour period what are some of the best figures there yeah i mean it was patchy darwin airport picked up 44 um nucky's lagoon 41 Noonamar just nine Elizabeth Downs, 52, Catherine Bridge, 57, uh, Gove Airport, 10, Jabiru Airport, 71, uh, Snowdrop Creek, 49, Townsend Creek in, in the VRD, 29. Um, you know, that's that's a taste, a bit of a flavour. There was more out there, but uh, nothing too much more than that. Rightio. And anything else we need to be aware of? Only that it's going to be very hot across the Territory this week. So 43 is the forecast for Alice Springs today. Um, some places in the Gregory and the Tanami climbing up to 46 sure. during the week. So a lot of places are going to be looking at 40 plus for the next seven days or more. Oh, that's nasty. Is, is there going to be a cool change in time for Christmas? Is that the Christmas present for everyone? Yeah, probably not, Matt. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> the Alice Springs will get a cool change tomorrow, back to the mid-30s, mid-30s. but um, generally speaking, it's going to be... Yep, oh, yeah, I'm just hot. looking at the Alice, 41 degrees on Saturday, 39 the top on uh, Christmas Eve. Oh, warm. All right, then. Thanks for keeping us up to date. Billy, no appreciate worries, thanks, it. Matt. Cheers. Enjoy a feast of movies for free on ABC iView. From Colin Firth and Geoffrey Rush in The King's Speech. At last, sir, here's your speech. You are on air at six. To Dame Judi Dench in Red Joan. I am not a spy. Plus Carol, Boy, Empire Records, Burlesque and so many more. A feast of delicious movies all summer long. Bon appétit. Streaming free and ad-free on ABC iView. It is 12 past one and you are tuned into the Country Hour. Let's turn our attention now to the resources sector. Santos's Barossa Gas Project has cleared a hurdle with the offshore oil and gas regulator approving its environmental plan for drilling north of the Tiwi Islands. I'm joined in the studio this afternoon by Max Rowley. What's happened? 
Yeah, hi, Matt. So on Friday, the regulator, NOPSEMA, accepted Santos's new environment plan for drilling six gas wells in the Timor Sea, about 130 kilometres north of the Tiwis. Last year, the federal court, it ruled the pre- company's previous plan was invalid. Right. So it found NOPSEMA had approved Santos's plan without checking whether the company had carried out adequate consultation with all the relevant parties, as is required by law. Now, Santos says it has conducted further extensive consultation with Tiwi Island people and other relevant persons, and its new environment plan for drilling has now been approved by the regulator. Treasurer Eva Lawler was asked about this at a press conference this morning, and she says it's welcome. She, she says that she welcomes this decision. Yes, I'm very happy. Um, as Treasurer of the Northern Territory, I'm very happy to see that. Obviously, there's work to do still around the pipelines, um, but I think that's a, a good result. It's a step forward uh, for Santos and for Barossa. It's a project that the Northern Territory needs. Uh, it's a project that is a, a good project. We have had offshore an offshore oil and gas industry for a very long time in the Territory, but there are processes that now need to be worked through uh, with traditional owners on the Tiwi Islands. Yeah, that's the Territory's Treasurer, Eva Lawler. So, Max, what does all of this mean for the Barossa gas project? Well, it's obviously uh, one hurdle that Santos has now jumped, um, but there are still a few more hurdles for Santos if it is to proceed with the Barossa gas project. It still requires NOPSEMA approval, so it has now the drilling approval, but it still requires its production operations environment plan to be approved. And the Barossa project is still subject to a federal court challenge with Tiwi Island traditional owners claiming a proposed export pipeline running past the island mm-hmm. would damage sea country and song lines. We can expect a ruling from the federal court on that in January. Okay, thank you for keeping us up to date, Max. As we go to air this afternoon, shares in Santos are down by 1.6%. Hope you're ready for the ultimate party this New Year's Eve across the ABC. Let's do this, everyone! Catch the biggest Aussie acts, including Jessica Malboy, Genesis Owusu, Casey Donovan and loads more. Plus exclusive sneak peeks and a Gila family surprise. And two fireworks displays, audio described on ABC Radio. Happy, Happy New, New Year! Celebrate New Year on ABC TV, iView, Radio and the ABC Listen app. Australia's livestock industry is worried illegal fishing in parts of northern Australia could lead to a serious and costly disease outbreak. Commercial fishers are saying they're finding more and more rubbish on beaches that has clearly come from Indonesia. Sea cucumber fisherman Corey McIntosh says he's seen illegal fishers who have made it all the way to the Australian mainland, especially on the Kimberley coast. The first thing that that we've seen when we were down there this trip was just the amount of rubbish that was left left around on the on the tide line of all the beaches in the water and on the on the sea floor when we're diving for sea cucumber. We're not talking um, about islands here, are we? We're talking about the mainland. 100% the mainland. Islands as well, but yeah, definitely the mainland. There's uh, been lots of reports of a number of boats in one fishing operation, up to four or five boats, fishing the mainland, walking the, walking the mud flats and uh, camping, living ashore. What is it that you're seeing that you go, yes, this is definitely not rubbish that's come off an Australian boat? Myself, I've been operating down there for 
a number of years and there's just no rubbish down there. It's one of the best things about that part of the world that the beaches are clean. The people that operate down there are, are very conscious of that. So seeing any rubbish on the beach is you pick it up straight away. But megarang packets, uh, noodle packets, a lot and a lot of water, uh, water cups or with Indonesian writing on them. A lot of it's very new and some of it is is reasonably disintegrated. So the effort's been widespread for quite a while out there just with the with some of the packaging, how faded it is and some of the packaging is is brand new. Have you seen illegal boats operating near the Australian mainland? Have you you see the rubbish, but have you actually seen them? Yeah. So that last trip when we were down there we we did actually see see one uh, come out of the very bottom reaches of uh, Vansatart Bay, anchored up in a bay. Yeah, working the mainland in a bay. I guess we were lucky enough to be in the area at the time. Uh, Border Force did scare them out of the mangroves where they were camped up, camouflaged in, um, and I'm guessing doing predominant work at night time. So yeah, we were just going past and, and seeing them make a break for it. We then jumped in the dinghy and gave gave chase to uh, to get a better look at what was going on and and to see what they had on board. And what did they have? They wouldn't show us. Uh, they played the no English game. They didn't have a lot of water. I know that's for sure. Uh, I did see some of their fishing equipment, which was a, a trawl net or a, a drag net, which was an eye opener to me. And also, the speed that this this boat was doing was about fifteen knots, and the the equipment on board was was a lot better than what i what i'd sort of thought you know from hearing the whispers around the around the coastline that there was an influx of boats there's been lots of reports that the, all the vessels being caught have had a fairly large number of sea cucumber well, it'd be safe to say given the area that they were that they were fishing in that they're most probably using that that fishing equipment to uh, to harvest sea cucumber. Mm. So you saw this boat. It was near Vansatart Bay when you saw it. How close would you say it was to the actual Australian mainland? Well, where they were fishing, they were touching the mainland. They were they're walking on the mainland. We heard this report recently where uh, I think it was 12 Indonesian people were found walking on the mainland and they had to be rescued. But did you hear that and think, well, that's nothing really unusual because you're seeing evidence of what you think is that activity all of the time? Yeah. Look, you'd, you'd have to be a pretty brave person to want to wanna land on the coastline out there and try to make it a civilisation. <laughs> your chances of survival aren't that great. But, I mean... There's sightings of up to 34, 35 people working the Australian coastline in the weeks prior to that. So they've been walking the land. It's a pretty daunting, really, knowing that they can they can get in and land on Australia undetected. It's almost laughable now. It's been going on for a while. There's been reports put in. Without pointing the finger, it sort of seems like it's fallen on deaf ears. It is a very remote part of the coastline been quite hard to get boats to the area or the number of people to properly keep an eye on what's going on. How present then is Border Force? I mean when you saw this boat you were able to call them and they came and, and intercepted them but is that unusual that you would have that level of, of access? How prevalent is their presence and their patrols? Look in the, in the years I've been down there I don't really see Border Force at all. 
there was a vessel, a border force vessel in in the area about three days prior to me uh, running into this illegal boat. So they have showed up, whether it was soon enough. There's probably just not been enough resources thrown at this issue. When you think about the amount of boats that you're hearing have been intercepted and, and you're saying it's you're hearing that it's a lot and some of the things you've seen firsthand, they're quite advanced fishing operations. What concern does that raise for you when you think about the sea cucumber fishery that you're operating in, that you're paying to operate in? It's pretty worrying, you know, what could have been taken out of out of the fishery that's that's yet to be determined and just the it's, it's a closely managed fishery through the, the west australian fisheries it is a healthy fish stock down there but when it gets fished not to legislation that could be have you know long-term damaging effects but what we don't want to see as fishers is effort being taken away from one the license owners and and two us the fishers on the on the ocean That is sea cucumber fisherman Corey McIntosh speaking to Joe Prendergast. The head of the Pastoralists and Graziers Association of WA is worried illegal fishing boats from Indonesia could introduce serious diseases to Australia's livestock sector. And Tony Seabrook, he's calling for all illegal boats to be burnt. Look, it's very concerning. Uh, we all know that, that foot and mouth disease is up there. Lumpy skin's another one in the background. Uh, one would have to hope that these boats aren't coming ashore. They might be. But even finding refuse on the beach indicates they're way, way too close to our coast. And uh, the, you know, we, we just need to absolutely make clear to them that this is just not on. When we think about illegal fishing and we're, you know, thousands of kilometres away, you think, well, that's an issue that is an, an issue for fishing, but that's about it. But this really puts it on a, a broader perspective, doesn't it? When you think about biosecurity and how easily some of those diseases that are in, in, in Indonesia are spread. Joe, it's like holding the front door shut and bolting it and latching it so that no one can get in and leaving the back door open. The issue of a disease coming into the country um, and the most worrying aspect of it would be if it got into the feral pig population, uh, it could be there for quite a long time before we found out about it and it would be very, very difficult to get rid of it. You know, feral pigs are a monumental problem uh, and they are vectors uh, for the diseases that could tear down our live, well, sorry, our export, our meat export and our live export trade too. It's a grave concern. Is the main issue that you think of, the, is, is that centred around incorrect food disposal or is it, you know, things being on shoes that haven't been in the water, that type of thing? Joe, it takes one bug, just one. It doesn't mean there's got to be a flood of this stuff, just one germ coming into our country. It's all very well having all the warnings on the air, aircraft flying into the, into the country and the hostesses and stewards telling the story about biosecurity, walking through foot baths and all of that sort of thing and disposing of, of any, any uh, footwear that's been on a farm. That's all very well, but it can come in in a bit of sausage, a salami. There's just so many different ways that disease could get here. And as I said before, an outbreak uh, in the feral pig population would be entirely different than an outbreak in a more controlled area, perhaps in the southwest or on a pastoral property. This is something we need to be uh, absolutely vigilant about. And uh, whether government is doing as much as it should, I don't know. The lesson needs to be put out there to all people that are coming to our territorial waters and, and fishing illegally, uh, take the boats and burn them. Now, that, that, that's harsh, but it's a message that would very quickly spread all over Indonesia and they'd stop doing it. 
that if they think they can get away with it, well, they're opportunists and that's sort of what happens. The world would shut down any imports out of Australia because foot and mouth is in our country. And until we could prove that we got rid of it, uh, those markets would not open up again. And we're talking about billions and billions of dollars and huge disruption. Yeah, this, this needs to be treated with the utmost seriousness. The fact that they're finding stuff may well lead to them having come ashore and uh, that's just not on. That is Tony Seabrook, who heads up the Pastoralists and Graziers Association in Western Australia. He was speaking to Joe Prendergast. Now, in a statement from AMSAR, the Australian Fisheries Management Authority, it says that it's recorded 211 foreign fishing vessels that have been intercepted in WA waters since the beginning of this year. 211 of them. People in the commercial fishing industry that the country has spoken to believe that number would be much, much higher. Speaking of AMSAR, it's on the lookout for a new boss. I'm joined again by Max Rowley. Mick Kinley, on the way out, hey? Yeah, so he says he'll finish in his current role at the end of this term in July next year. A statement from AMSA, it says that they want to thank Mr. Kinley for his dedicated service. It goes under Mr. Kinley's decade-long leadership as chief executive. AMSA has benefited immensely from his strong, intelligent and considerate stewardship. So AMSA says it now will search for his successor in the beginning of next year. Mm -hmm. And as per the legislation, that new chief will be appointed by the Infrastructure and Transport Minister Catherine King um, on the recommendation of the board. Okay. AMSA needs a new boss. Thank you for that, Max. That wraps up today's country. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. As mentioned, our guest will be Paul Burke. He is the new chair of the Northern Territory's Pastoral Land Board. And Max has been hanging out with crocodiles a lot the last few days, Max. Just loving crocodiles. Tis mate. the season. Tis, it is the season. It's a very special time of year for our Northern Territory croc farms. I'm sure you'll be hearing more about that in the coming days as well. Keep it rural. Keep it rural.